Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We are your co-hosts. And today we are very excited to welcome Carol Lawrence Costley as our guest in the studio. Carol, welcome. It's good to be here. Thank you. (laughs) So good to have you. you. To briefly introduce Carol, Carol was born in London, England to Jamaican immigrants, and she joined the church as a teenager and has a fun story related to that. We're excited to talk more about that today. She received a master's degree from BYU in social work and worked for many years as a CEO of a nonprofit organization that served individuals with developmental disabilities. Carol has been serving on the Young Women Advisory Council since August of 2018, and we're just excited to talk with you today about your experiences and the perspectives that you bring to the Advisory Council. We're happy to get to know you and have our listeners get to know you as well. Thank you. It's good to be here. We want to talk today about the power of stories and the understanding and empathy that comes when we listen to and learn from other people's stories. So Carol, we would love to start with your story. As we shared in your introduction, you were born and raised by Jamaican immigrants in London. Can you just tell us how you've ended up where you are today, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints living in Utah? Well, that's a fun story, I think. (laughs) I remember I was just a young girl, and I was watching television with my family. And the Queen has a performance every year where celebrities come and entertain. Mm -hmm. And there was a group from Ogden, Utah, called the Osmonds. (laughs) And I was just mesmerized by Mm -hmm. them when they started singing. And I could not get my mind off them, my eyes off them. (laughs) I was just so fascinated with their family and the connection that they had and talked about about their family. Uh So the next day when I went to school, all the girls on the playground came running up to me and said, did you watch that? And I (laughs) said, yes, I did. (laughs) She goes, oh my gosh, the Osmonds. And so that began our story. And we tried to learn all that we could about them. We read every magazine, every newspaper article, and we found out that they were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. And we just wanted to know more. And I think the first thing that we got our hands on was the Word of Wisdom. And so (laughs) we started to live the Word of Wisdom. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And so that's how it all started. And so one of my friends, Vanessa, decided that she was going to write to Salt Lake City and find out more about the church. And so she wrote to Salt Lake City. And one day she called us all and said, guess what? I heard from Salt Lake City and the missionaries are coming. And I'm like, the missionaries are coming. So we all got together and met up at her house to hear the missionaries. And she lived with her grandmother. And so we were in her apartment listening to the missionaries. And I'm just envisioning what was your age at this time. And you said like a whole bunch of your friends all got together. We were probably about 11, I think. We were young. Pretty young, yeah. And so we were all sitting in Vanessa's grandmother's flat waiting. And I think there were probably about 10 to 15 of us just sitting there. And I remember when the missionaries opened the door, we were just... They're here. They're here. (laughs) It was We were so excited. And they started by sharing the story of the first vision. And I think when I heard that story, it was so moving to me that a young boy would want to know more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in my heart of hearts, I really felt like, I want to know about this gospel. I really want to know. And I think that I had that desire, and I was really surprised within myself 
that I had those feelings. That's how it all started. And we were broken up into the places that we lived because we all lived in different parts Mm -hmm. of London. And so we each had different sets of missionaries just because of the area that we were from. And the missionaries came to our home and they taught us. And we had several different missionaries because I didn't join the church until I was about 15. Mm -hmm. But I attended from the time that those first missionaries came. Mm -hmm. Several years. So for several years, I attended. And through that process... I grew more and more comfortable with the doctrine, what it was teaching, and how I felt. And I think for me, going into a building and feeling the Spirit was incredible. And when I look back, we used to meet in a public building. I think that it used to have elderly people come and do activities, social Mm -hmm. activities, And so sometimes we would arrive and there would be that smell of cigarette smoke and we'd have to clean it up and make sure that it was ready for us to worship. But the spirit was so strong, regardless Mm -hmm. of where we were meeting. When you gathered together, When we gathered together, it was so strong. And I think that that was what really set that stage for me to want more. And every time I went, I wanted more. And I remember going home and saying, Mom, can I please get baptized? And she'd say, Carol, I just want you to wait and make sure that this is what you really want. And I kept saying, Mom, it's what I really wanted. She goes, well, we're just going to have to wait. And I remember the missionaries said that in order for us to be baptized, we needed permission from both of our parents. My father was working in the United States at the time, and my mother was in London. And so she contacted him through a phone call to see if he would give permission. And he said that he would, but it was through the post And so we had to wait, and sometimes it could take up to two weeks. Uh And I was approaching my 15th year and waited and waited for my dad to respond. And finally, he responded, and I was so excited. He gave permission. Now, all this time, I was in school, and one of the teachers pulled me aside and said, I don't think you really know about that church. I thought to myself, I know everything about the church. I have been going for three years now, Mm -hmm. and I felt like I knew everything about the church. I'd met the people. I had attended activities. I had participated in service projects. Been taught by many missionaries at this point. Yes, taught by many missionaries. And she said, you know, they don't allow black people to become priests. And I'm like, I've never heard of that. I don't know what you're talking about. In fact, I got quite frustrated with her. And I mm-hmm. just said, that is not true. You're telling me something that is not true. And I remember arguing with her about mm-hmm. it and just kind of leaving it at that. And so when I got permission from my dad, the missionaries talked to me about setting a date. And so as I began to participate in the gospel discussions, my sister also participated in the gospel discussions, Mm -hmm. as well as my mother. And then my younger siblings sat in, but they weren't particularly interested. But we all sat in. And one night, we decided on a date of May 30th to be baptized. And this was in 1975. And the night before my baptism, we were told that the missionaries would come and interview us. Sure. Because there were a lot of girls joining the church because of the Osmonds and the (laughs) missionary work that they did through their music. Mm -hmm. And so I remember sitting in my living room and the missionaries coming. And there wasn't just the one companionship or I think it was the zone leader and his companion. And then there was a third companionship. So our house was full. Full of missionaries. missionaries. (laughs) And... I thought, wow, (laughs) this is quite incredible for an interview before my baptism. 
And I remember sitting down and they started talking to us and asking us questions about our testimony and our faith and what we believe in terms of the gospel. And then the room fell silent and one of the missionaries got up and he told me about the priesthood and my heart sank. And I remember the conversation that I had with my teacher. With your teacher, mm -hmm. yeah. And the argument that ensued, it wasn't really an argument, it was me more saying, They've never treated me. Mm -hmm. I was trying to defend. And I said, people in the church have never treated me differently. I've always felt welcomed. I've always felt accepted. And I remember, as the missionaries told me this, I just said, I don't think I can be baptized. And I remember my sister said, I'm going to be baptized. I'm not going to be a priest. <laughs> <laughs> and I just said, but if I get baptized, I will not be able to be married in the temple which mm -hmm. was a thing that was very appealing yeah, to me. Yeah, mm -hmm. really important. Because we were from a large family, and the idea of being united forever was really important to me. Yeah. And I just couldn't bring myself to get baptized. And so I'd kind of resolved that I wasn't going to get baptized on the next day. And my heart was so heavy and so conflicted. And I remember looking at the missionaries and thinking, we fed you dinner. We had you over. We went to church with you. How come you're waiting until yeah, why, now? Why are we just learning about this? Mm -hmm. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a missionary pop up out of his chair. And he looked at me and he said, Carol, I promise you that when you're ready to be married, every worthy male member of the church will have the priesthood. And then there was silence. I didn't realize what the silence was for because I'm sure his companion was looking at him thinking, what are you saying? What did you just yeah. say? But I was like, really? I'm going to get baptized then. I believed his promise. His testimony was so strong and so convincing. And I actually got a confirmation that what he was saying was right. Wow. And I decided to be baptized. And I was baptized the next day. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And it's wonderful for us to hear your perspective and your experience. We'd love to hear what happened next, what brought you to the United States. We know you attended BYU. Tell us about kind of the next steps in your life. So I was involved in the church, attending Young Women's, and really enjoying the activity. Mm -hmm. My father, having been in the United States working from the time that I was about 10, and I was now 16, and my father wrote to my mother and said, hey, we need to bring this family back together. Mm -hmm. We need you to come. I was devastated. Yeah, that's so hard as a teenager to be uprooted from that community that you had. And all that I had were all the different stories and the different struggles and the different social problems that were happening in the United States at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I was very nervous. Mm -hmm. But of course, we went. And so the five youngest children in our family went. Mm -hmm. And it was in March of 1976. I hadn't even been a member of the church for a year. Yeah. And so when I arrived, I was desperate for that connection. And I remember my father just saying, you know, you can go to the church down the street. And I remember it clearly. And I thought, that is not my church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't just go to any, any church. church. Yeah. <laughs> he said, Carol, but they all believe in God and Jesus Christ. Why can't you go to the church down the street? And I said, because they teach different teachings. And my dad was very frustrated because the church that I wanted to attend 
was 30 minutes away by car. Wow. And he kind of said, I just think it's ridiculous for you to want to go all the way to that church. Anyway, my sister, when she came, she finally got a hold of the bishop and made all the arrangements for us to get to church. And I remember we were assigned a family. It was the Watkins family. And they picked us up every single Sunday for church for two years. That's amazing. It's so wonderful. Not just for church, but for youth activities, Mm -hmm. any activities that the church was having, this family took us to church every week. And it changed my life. And I am so excited because the thing that changed my life most was the youth of the church Mm -hmm. in that ward. Without them, I would not be here today. Mm -hmm. I lived to go to church. I would count the days Wednesday mutual. I mean, I would live to count those days. That's so amazing for a teenager to just have such strong faith Mm -hmm. and desire and desire to go. That's incredible. And I'm sure that's just really set the foundation for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think too, in this story, your commitment is so amazing as a young girl to move across the world to a place where a church wasn't close by and Sounds like you and your sister to be so committed to, no, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep finding our church. So your commitment and then also the commitment of these members there that were like, yes, we're going to take Carol and her sister every week. And they're going to be a part of this family that we have in the ward or the branch, whatever it was. I think there's some inspiring bits on both ends of that story. It was the Westchester Ward. And I really think that this is a true definition of gathering. Mm -hmm. We were young girls without parents involved. Uh And they made sure that we remained involved and that we got to where we needed to go. Mm -hmm. One thing that I learned was that everybody in my ward was going to BYU. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, I am going to go to BYU. I want to go to BYU too. (laughs) And so I was so excited because I'd always in the back of my mind dreamed of going to BYU, but never thought it would be a possibility But I could see a glimpse of this possibility. Mm -hmm. And so I just remember getting the papers from my counselor at school to fill in the application Uh and meeting with the bishop. And I remember sitting down with my counselor and he said, do you know where you want to go? And I said, yes, I want to go to Brigham Young University. And he stopped (laughs) and he looked at me and he looked at his door and he looked back at me. He got up, ran, shut the door, and then he came and sat down. And I knew exactly what he was going to say. And I said, before you say anything, (laughs) I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he looked at me and he said, (laughs) (laughs) he breathed a sigh of relief. And he says, well, then, great. (laughs) (laughs) How can we help you get there? (laughs) And that's exactly what happened. And so I came out to BYU and loved every minute of it. Played a little bit too much my first few semesters there, (laughs) but I really enjoyed my experience. Mm -hmm. And that year that you went to BYU was in 1978. So that was a big year for you to move to Utah and attend BYU. And it was a big year for the church as a whole. In 1978 is when the church removed the restriction on the priesthood, which allowed all worthy males, regardless of race, to be ordained to the priesthood and all faithful members of the church to receive the blessings of the temple. So we'd love for you to share, too, that part of your story, how you learned of that announcement just before you were going to be attending BYU. I can remember exactly where I was. I was in the kitchen in my house in New Rochelle, New York. And I remember I was on the phone with my childhood best friend, Dee. 
And we were just talking back and forth. She was asking me how I was doing. She knew that I was going to BYU and I was very excited. So I was telling her about my plans to Mm -hmm. go because I was leaving that summer Mm -hmm. to go. And I was tethered to the phone on the wall. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, my mother comes in and she's yelling and waving her arms. (laughs) And she's saying, your prophet is on the television. (laughs) And I'm like, mom, I'm on long distance to London. And at that time, you know, it was by the minute. Yes, every minute Mm -hmm. counts. Every minute counted (laughs) because it was very expensive. And so she says, you have got to come. Your prophet is on the television. (laughs) And so I said, just a second, Dean. Mom's hollering about President Kimball being on the television. Let me go see what it's about. So I dropped the phone to the floor (laughs) because there was nowhere to put it. And so I ran into the next room. And what I heard was the announcement. And I was just shaking. And all of a sudden, I remembered Elder Williamson standing to his feet and making me the promise. And I thought, I am 18, I am going to BYU, and I'm going to get married (laughs) in the temple. And I was so excited. I was thrilled. And I remember going back on the phone and talking to Dee and telling her what had happened. And we screamed and I cried. And it was just a joy-filled moment. And then I realized for the very first time in my life that on the night of my baptism, the Spirit spoke to me and confirmed the truthfulness of that missionary's statement. And I was actually on the other end of that promise being fulfilled. And I realized that God does answer prayers. And people do receive personal revelation. And I can receive personal confirmation if I put my faith and my trust in Him. Your story is just so powerful. And it's because of your faith. Just like you're saying, you realized if you trust in God and trust in the teachings of Jesus Christ and the promises that you've made, especially at your baptism, and you just were so dedicated to that, it's amazing to kind of see that full circle, that that momentum that you'd gained just kept going. It's so amazing to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, this idea that stories can be so powerful because as we get a window into your thoughts and your feelings and your fears and your faith, it provides this window of understanding and empathy for others who have had a different experience Mm -hmm. or who are not familiar with your experience. So thank you so much for sharing. We just are really grateful and know that listeners will appreciate that too. I just think it's so neat too. I I love thinking of your mom, your prophet's on the TV. And she just knew that that was so important to you and that you just by chance were talking to your best friend who was still a faithful member of the church who that was so meaningful to her as well. I just think that this is such an incredibly powerful story. Mm-hmm. Carol, as we hear your personal story and such personal experiences and your perspective, we would love to know just more in general how members of the church can better listen to and learn from the stories and experiences of other Black members of the church. I think storytelling is very important because through stories, you get to understand and learn about the journey of other people mm-hmm. and some of the challenges that they face. And sometimes because we haven't experienced a particular challenge, we have a hard time understanding how that can happen or why that happens. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we hear stories, 
we really truly learn and understand about the person and we're able to relate better to their experience. I had a time when I was at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. I was by myself. My husband was working Mm -hmm. and didn't have a break, so he couldn't come with me. Sure. So I went to the museum. And I sat down and I listened to a woman telling a story about a pair of boots that her dad made her wear. And she was probably about the age I was when I joined the church. So she was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I think it was in the summer. And her dad made her wear these heavy boots. And she talked about these boots and how frustrated she was that she was having to wear these boots. But they were actually leaving and trying to escape. Mm -hmm. And Her father insisted that she wear these shoes. And I remember as I listened to her story, she talked about how they were separated and then they ended up in a camp and that those boots protected her and caused her not to experience frostbite and some of the other challenges that Mm -hmm. those prisoners experienced. And I just remember I was so engrossed in her story. I was crying. Very emotional. And very Mm -hmm. emotional. And I was so empathetic to her experience. And I related because I remember being 15. I remember going through challenging times where my parents wanted me to do things. Mm -hmm. And I was able to gain an understanding of her experience. And that turned into a love for this woman. Mm -hmm. I still remember her face. I still hear her voice. And I still recognize that when people tell their stories, when you listen, you validate them. And when you validate their experience, they feel loved. And so I think that as saints who are different, Mm -hmm. members of a different race or group, it's important to listen and to hear and believe their experiences and not to dismiss them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that a story helps people to be heard and seen. We want to be seen. We embrace our difference. We're okay with who we are. We just want to share our story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we hear the story, then we can adjust our behaviors, the things that we need to change. And we can say, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize that what I said might be hurtful. Mm -hmm. And so I think listening to other people is a great way to change and to learn and grow ourselves And to also have them change and learn and grow. And to get over some of the hard narrative of the past Mm -hmm. and to move forward. And there's nothing like being with people that can help you do that. And so listening and hearing a person's story is a great way to help change. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you sharing that experience, you know, because as you're sitting in the Holocaust Museum, you didn't know what it was like in the Holocaust. And yet her story was so meaningful to you and you were able to connect to her. Find similarities. As, yeah, you, as a you, teenager, mm-hmm. as a daughter, in all these different ways. And then you felt love for her. And then I love how you said you're kind of able to move forward with that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I feel that same way listening to you. I don't know what it was like to be a black member of the church in the 70s with that feeling, am I going to be able to go to the temple? I don't know what that's like. Mm-hmm. But then hearing your perspective, 
it just makes me feel so much love for you and so much love for so many members of the church who had that similar experience that now I have a different perspective on and have more awareness about. And then I can move forward and have that different attitude and perspective. I just think that that's Mm -hmm. such an important perspective to have that there is so much that unifies us. And yet the differences that we have, they are just as important as what unifies us. Thank you, Carol, so much. You've taught us so powerfully. Those are some really important, tangible principles Mm -hmm. that we can take and move forward. So thank you. We want to kind of continue this discussion of growing and understanding and empathy through stories. And you've had some great experience in your life working with people who are different from you. You've spent a long time serving individuals with disabilities. And we'd love to hear what you've learned from their stories, from your work in this arena, and what blessings and understanding have come as you've loved and learned from those with disabilities. I'm glad you asked that question because I am thinking of a woman. She was in her late 60s, maybe even early 70s. And I started working with her in an intermediate care facility. And I remember talking to her one day, and she was so frustrated. And she would speak in this little voice, and she'd say, Carol, I am sick and tired of people treating me like a baby. She'd always say that to me. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I am really sorry. She goes, they just make us do baby work. <laughs> they make us do sort through things, and it has no meaning. Mm-hmm. She just gets so frustrated. And listening to her story, I remember how frustrated she would become every time she had to go to work. To her, it wasn't work. To her, it was sorting through things. It's kind of a menial. Yes, it was a meaningless task. And she didn't quite know how to say that it was meaningless, but she said it was baby work. Mm -hmm. And then one day, they got a contract, I think, at this place where she worked, and they were packaging things for the airlines. And so it changed her whole approach to work. And so when it came time to work, oh, she couldn't be late. Where's the driver? Mm -hmm. I don't want to be late to work. He Mm -hmm. better be here on time to get me to work, she'd Mm -hmm. say. And she'd get really frustrated if the driver wasn't there to take her to work. So her mindset completely changed when she did something that was meaningful, when she did something that benefited other people, and when she was paid for it and paid a fair wage. Because her her value was recognized. And it changed her whole perspective. She started to reach out to other people where she was very closed. She was a new person. And I think she went on to work in a competitive area and earn an award for Employee of the Year. Oh, where that's she awesome. Was that's working. wonderful. And so when I think about people with disabilities, they use the term, nothing about us without us. And so they want to have input in how mm-hmm. they work, in where they live, in what they do. They do not want us to look at their situation and say, well, you know, she has this and this problem, and I I don't think she'll be able to do this. Kind of making our own judgment on abilities and 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 interests. decisions Mm -hmm. for them, too. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that I really learned, and I learned very quickly. A lot of times, too, people with disabilities have assessments and different things, testing. and, Mm -hmm. And so sometimes they're given a chronological age. And a lot of times people without the disability want to treat them as a chronological age Mm -hmm. that is assigned to them them. Mm -hmm. in testing as opposed to their actual age that they are. And so a lot of times people would bring women dolls and different things like that 
when there's nothing wrong with dolls, but it really isn't age appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I think we need to remember to ask them what it is that they would like. And if they're not able to contribute their own voice, then ask those who are closest to them them. to help us figure out how to help or how to work with them instead of doing things for them. And that's what I learned is that most people with disabilities want to be a part of the process and not necessarily have things done for them. And I had many people correct me with disabilities when I would Mm -hmm. try to do for them. And I was told, I can do it myself. Sure. Thank you. Mm -hmm. This is what I need your help with. There was a young man who wanted to be a pilot and fly planes. And he was so fascinated with flying planes and wanting to be a pilot. And he wanted a job really bad. And one of the supported employment people got him a job at the airport. And he was thrilled. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that he wanted to really fly a plane when it really got down to it. He was quite content to be around the planes. He just wanted to be a part of it. Or to be Mm -hmm. in the environment. And so sometimes when we look at a person with a disability, we place a limit on them based upon what we think that they can accomplish. And I think for this gentleman, if we would have stopped at, you know what, you'll never be able to fly a plane, and so let's divert you over here. Instead, I think we need to listen to people, and that's why stories are always good. Because when you listen, you gain an understanding of exactly what it is that that person wants, and to be able to tailor or to kind of adjust the goal with their help. And with this young man, it was perfect to work at a restaurant that was at the airport, and on his breaks, he could go and sit and watch the planes that came in and out of the airport. Mm-hmm. He had arrived. He had met his potential in his perspective, working at the airport and doing a job that he was paid for and respected for. And it's because somebody listened to him and believed him, believed like him. you said. Mm-hmm. They believed him. And then that's so neat that he was able to feel so fulfilled by that new position. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I hear you saying is that we need to view all individuals, period, Mm -hmm. all individuals as children of God and as individuals. And I think this is an important conversation because we have people in our families. We have people in our church congregations. We have people in our relief societies or elders quorum or young women groups that have a variety of challenges, may have physical limitations or mental limitations. And knowing how we can put our arms around them and see them as our brother or our sister. And like you said, believe them, involve them, help them reach their potential and do the things that they love and care about. I can just think that that would bring us great joy, too, to help bring joy to other people. I think as I'm listening and thinking about my experiences, there was one gentleman who told me he needed to go somewhere. I couldn't figure out what he was saying. He was nonverbal. He had an IQ assessment of 20. And so I was really struggling to understand where he was going or what he wanted me to do. Or I think he wanted me to go eat somewhere with him. And he came in the room and he grabbed the phone book and he flipped through the phone book and he pointed to pizza. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you definitely don't have an IQ of 20 Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you can grab a phone book and find pizza. And I remember figuring out ways to communicate with him. And the phone book was the way that we started communicating Mm -hmm. because he would turn to the advertisements in the phone book 
and then point to what he needed or Mm -hmm. wanted. That's amazing. Could use it to communicate. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. And we got a lot accomplished. And so I think giving people the opportunity to do things without placing limits because of what we see on paper about them Mm -hmm. or because what we see physically about them that we automatically say, oh, I don't think we can do that. That's going to be too difficult. Let's figure out how we can do it. I think if we always approach, this is what they want to do, how can we do it? Or how can we understand what they're trying to say, I think is the best way to support a person with a disability, is figuring out how instead of we can't. Absolutely. Carol, I've really appreciated this conversation about seeing people as children of God, accepting who they are, doing our best to hear them out and listen to their stories and just love them. And you recently shared with us an opportunity that you had to learn from stories of LGBTQ members of the church at a conference you recently attended. And I feel like this fits well in the conversation of hearing people's stories. Mm -hmm. We would just love to know how did that experience enhance your empathy and understanding for those who identify as LGBTQ? I think what struck me was their faith and their desire to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, it, similarities, right? It was yeah. the similarities. <laughs> yeah. And I think that whenever you listen to a story, you get those similarities. It increases our capacity to love them, to love others. It helps create understanding. And I felt so much compassion and so much empathy as I heard some of the struggles and problems that they encounter. Mm-hmm. When we listen, we learn about the obstacles that other people face and the specific tools that they use to overcome those obstacles. Oh, I love that. And as I sat and listened, it was faith in Jesus Christ. It was prayer, regular scripture study. Probably service, I imagine. And serving others Mm -hmm. and using the atonement of Jesus Christ to process a lot of personal, emotional struggles Mm -hmm. that they were experiencing because through that, they find peace and comfort. And that's what struck me. We're facing different challenges, but we're using the same principles to overcome those challenges. And that's what unites us. That's where unity comes from, is having struggles that are different, but using exercising similar things to overcome those struggles. When you get to that place, it's almost like instead of just being tolerant, it shifts to love. It's no longer feeling like we need to tolerate this particular situation or circumstance. You truly love that person. And it dissolves into something that is more unifying. I have more similarities to most people, all people, Mm -hmm. than I have differences. Mm -hmm. And I think storytelling promotes that. And that's why it's so important for us to listen respectfully to the stories of others. Thank you. You've shared this profound recipe or formula for unity, right? When we listen and when we believe and we love, then those similarities rise to the surface. And that does create unity because we realize we're all pursuing the same thing. We have different challenges. We have different obstacles. But like you said, our tools are the same. What we want is the same. We can help each other in our walk on that path. 
And I think that's beautiful to tie in stories and listening to stories can help us become more unified, whether that's a family or in a ward, a church setting, any other setting. That's something that stories can do for us. Mm -hmm. Not all stories are pretty. (laughs) And I think that we need to be patient as people share difficult stories. I've heard this phrase, and I like it, and it's being comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I think if we are prepared to hear stories, we'll be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think when we're in that place, we're open and we can listen. Yes. And so that, to me, is really important. And it's not really our responsibility when we're hearing these stories to make people feel better or to fix anything. Or to solve their story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's certainly just we're listening. Who cares that we're the ones that are uncomfortable? That listening can open us up to love. I, I just love that you say that. When we can see ourselves in others, it changes everything. And I think hearing that story and seeing myself in that Holocaust victim was something that taught me that I need to be always open to hear someone else's story and never to shut them down because it's something that's hard or uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Carol, you've shared so much wisdom with us and Mm -hmm. really, again, tangible ways for us to listen and love the people around us. And we want to ask if there's anything more that you would share with the women of the church or those listening to the podcast. Yeah, I would love to share my thoughts about life and being a member of the church and feeling like we need to be a certain way because of who we are or what we do. I remember when I got this call, I thought, why me? (laughs) I'm not sure that I am the perfect person for this job because my life is not like this person over here. Mm -hmm. And so there was that tendency to make that comparison. But what I've come to learn and what I've really appreciated was when the Release Society put out that video of the sisters, and it highlighted some of the challenges that they faced in their lives. This was the presidency and the advisory council, Council, yes. Mm -hmm. We'll share that in the notes for this episode. I love that video because it put all of us in there. I could relate. There were women who had dealt with depression, women who had dealt with infertility, women who had dealt with financial struggles, Mm -hmm. women who have dealt with being single. It was really interesting. Elder Williamson promised me that by the time I would be married, every worthy member would have the priesthood. So I thought I was going to go out to BYU and get married. And I remember having to wait until I was 40 (laughs) Mm -hmm. before I married. And I think that it kind of put a smile on my face because some things just don't happen the way that we think they're going to happen. The way we expect or with The way we expect mm-hmm. or the way we see others have their paths. They go to BYU, they get married, they have a family, and there is this pattern that we think all of our lives should follow. And we have a tendency to compare ourselves to other people's patterns. And that was something that I learned is that we're all on a different journey. The experiences that we have are tailor-made for us, and it will help us in our effort to be more like the Savior, that path that has been selected for us. I think we accepted that before we came. I think we probably knew some of the things that we might experience. And so I think that the path that I'm on is the path that's right for me. Mm -hmm. And that when I compare myself to other people, 
I am not really progressing in a way that I need to progress because the comparison isn't with other people. The comparison is with where I am today and where I hope to be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's where I should be. And it's one day at a time. Today, I may have read the scriptures as much as I wanted to. Maybe I gave it a five-minute glance over. glance, <laughs> and jumped into bed exhausted. And tomorrow, maybe I can do two hours or an hour or a half an hour. I think that we need to rid ourselves of this desire to compare. And I know that with social media, it's made it even more challenging not to compare. I remember my girls saying, oh, mom, look, they're going on a vacation and they went to Hawaii. I want to go to Hawaii. And I remember thinking, you know what? Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I do too. But we're going to California and it's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to be on a beach And we're going to have a really good time. And I think far too often we want to compare. I remember listening to a devotional by J.B. Hawes a while ago Mm -hmm. on comparison. And he talked about the fact that sometimes it's so automatic, it's like breathing, that we Mm, want to compare to other people. And I remember that was my biggest challenge when I was first called, looking at these other great women and wanting to compare And I remember having to talk myself out of wanting to compare and to focus on what I could bring and what I could do to improve on my journey as I served in this committee instead of looking at the other ladies and what they've accomplished. And I think if we can resist that urge to compare and trust that the path we're on and the challenges that we have are tailor-made for us so that we can make it back to our Father in heaven. That should be satisfying. Just bringing in everything that we've talked about, I think what I hear you saying and what I'm taking away from this is instead of comparing our situation to other people, we just need to listen to other people. And instead of comparing our life with their life, we just listen to their stories and caring about their stories validates us in helping us to feel normal and to feel, oh, I have strengths too. And then to feel confident in ourselves. So I love that. It's appreciating others for who they are, appreciating ourselves for what we're able to do and what we've been able to do, and then just all doing our best. Mm-hmm. You know, And celebrating other people achieving and accomplishing their best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very important. And what you've shared is just so reassuring. I think if we can just focus on the lives that we can live our own life, this is where my agency lies in choosing day-to-day what I can do. That's where growth comes from and happiness and peace. So that's just really reassuring to me. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We have really enjoyed the opportunity to talk with Carol, get to know her and learn from her. And we hope you'll share this episode with friends or family or others who would benefit from this wonderful conversation today with Carol. We also want to remind listeners, as we do every week, that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So in addition to being posted on the church's website, it's also available on the Gospel Library app, Saints Channel mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other platforms. So tune in and subscribe, share, and we are just happy to have you along for this journey. And we love hearing from you. If there's a topic you want to hear about or a guest you would like to hear from, just let us know. You can leave us a review 
you or feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. We'd also like to thank our editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast. Until next week, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for listening. Thank you.